Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, hello again. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jose. Welcome to uh, West Palm Beach, Community of Hope, West Palm Beach. I'm the campus pastor here for our West Palm congregation, and it is a delight to be here again with everybody. Thanks for joining us for worship. Hey, I just want to um, thank everybody, really first and foremost, for everyone who's expressed their love and their prayers for Giselle and I. She is 39 weeks on Monday, 39 weeks pregnant, for those of you that don't know the context, D-Day is almost here. So thank you all for your prayers um, and for your concerns around that. We have been... We have been feeling it. And so with that, I know some of you weren't here last week and I made a little announcement, so I just want to briefly recap it with you all today. Um, I called the hospital and um, they told me that if I have COVID, it doesn't even matter if I'm asymptomatic, they would not allow me in the hospital room with Giselle for the birth of our first son. So I'm trying to do everything in my power to make sure that that does not happen. And so I just want to thank you all in advance for the grace that you've had with me around that. Um, And so I say that because I'm not going to be out as usual in the lobby greeting everybody after service. I'm going to be up here in the front with a mask about six feet away. Somebody told me the other week I was about 18 feet away, but... That just shows you how badly I want to meet my son on that day. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. It really, it really means a lot in this season for us. So, but anyways, we're diving right into week two of our series, How Life Works. And I am so excited because we're reading through some of my favorite portions of scripture, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. We're going straight through it. And it's, it's Jesus' longest recorded uh, message in the Gospels. And so particularly for me, the Sermon on the Mount has been a place of, of deep healing and transformation in, in my own life. Um, the, the counterintuitive ethic and culture that, that Jesus proposes for us, every time I read it, it both deeply challenges me, but it deeply comforts me at the same time. Um, and as we read it, I think you'll understand what, I'm, what I mean by that. The text really does speak for itself. Um, and I, I hope that you can see that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount the next couple weeks. And so last week, we teed up our series really around this one main question. And the question was, what if the paradigm, what if the paradigm of how we think life is supposed to work is not actually the same paradigm or idea that Jesus has around the way that life is supposed to work in him? In other words, what if our ideas about life and faith in the Lord Jesus and the way we ought to practice our faith are not the same ideas that Jesus has on that same topic. And if the Sermon on the Mount is truly a snapshot of what genuine Christian life and faith in the Lord Jesus is, I think we we said it last week and we'll say it again, I think we can all humbly say, myself included, man, we've 
we've got it wrong in a few crucial areas. And one of those areas we started last week, we talked about the doorway into God's kingdom, really the, the initial step that we all have to take in order to really, uh, really live a life truly in, of faith in the Lord Jesus. And that was poorness of spirit when we realize how much we need God, when we acknowledge our own spiritual bankruptcy, we surrender our lives and our heart to him. It all starts there and he, the Lord Jesus begins to reorient our understanding and the way that we live our lives. And now today we embark on a journey through really some of the most transformative but challenging sayings of Jesus. And I, I named it last week, but I, I'm going to name it again. As we, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount the next couple weeks, I'm going to ask you have a little bit of grace on your pastors. I might not be here the next couple weeks. Like I said, the baby might be born, you know, in the next couple weeks. So we're going to have either Pastor Brandon, Pastor Trevor, or, or one of our other pastors come and preach. We ask that you would have grace on us because Jesus, Jesus says some pretty hard stuff. And I promise you, I think by the time we're done with this sermon series, every single one of us in this room will be offended in some way, shape, or form. But here's what I want to say to that. Don't shoot the messengers. <laughs> we are in on this with you. And with that, I just want to, I want to give, uh, I want to give a heads up to all the parents who maybe bring some kids into the room um, because next week is going to be, we're, we're calling it PG-13. We're going to be talking about Jesus and sexuality, and we're going to be taking a deep dive into culture on that. So I want to just, for all the parents in the room, maybe that bring their kids in, want to leave that at your discretion. But here's what, I, what I'm going to ask of all of us today. Let's open our hearts. Let's open our minds to the words that the Lord Jesus has for us today, wherever they take us, wherever they may take us. And, and trust me, today in particular, it might sting a bit. And I know that because it stung me <laughs> as I was preparing for this sermon. But today we're not going to let Jesus' words sit on the, pa- on the page themselves. We are going to take a deep cultural dive. And we're going we're to literally apply what Jesus has to say today in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to read. We're going we're gonna to take a cultural dive and we're going to apply it to our lives today. And if you're not ready to agree with me this morning, here's what I will ask. Wrestle with me. Wrestle with me back and forth. Take the, take the words of Jesus seriously and wrestle with them. And you'll see what he can do in your life. And so with that, I, I'd love to ask everybody to take out your Bibles or your COH app, your journals. We've also got the passage on the screen. We're going to be reading today the next portion. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Matthew 5, we're going to read from verse 17 to verse 26. Matthew 5, 17 to 26. So with that, I'm going to read scripture. Please follow along. So Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. 
Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, he says this, you have heard it, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable in court. And that was a term, an Aramaic term of contempt, almost like an offensive word there. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to a judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. And truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid every last penny. Strong words. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we, as we read these words, we can't help but wonder that we don't, we don't reach that mark. We can't help but wonder and look back even in our own lives at when we've, we've fallen short of, of what you've just said. But Lord, we thank you this morning that there is forgiveness and there's healing and there's transformation when we lean in to your grace and to your truth. And so today, Lord, I ask that you would soften our hearts to hear your word. You would soften our hearts to hear from you and only you. And would you change us as a result and draw us one step closer to you. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Lots of things in this text. So starting in in verse 17, Jesus, he begins his discourse by reframing their ideas of scripture. There's a bunch of, he's preaching to a big crowd. There's all sorts of people there. There's probably some religious leaders there, like the Pharisees that he mentions. He's reframing their ideas about scripture. Look what he says in verse 17. First thing he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law first five books of the Old Testament, or the prophets, more books in the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them. He says this, I've come to fulfill them. Here's what Jesus means by that. Everything in the Old Testament, the sacrificial laws, the laws for purity and holiness, the demands of hospitality to care for the poor, the widowed, the marginalized, 
God's promise of restoration to his people. All of that, Jesus is saying, it was pointing to him. It's pointing to me, Jesus says. I am the fulfillment of all of those things. And so if Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures, then the way that we fulfill them as well is living into the identity of Jesus himself. Now, why would Jesus... I mean, he's just talked about poverty of spirit and all these values that we read last week. He's talked about salt and light of the earth, living out the mission of the kingdom. Why would Jesus bring this up? Well, because many people had misinterpreted scripture and they placed their faith in a different interpretation of the Old Testament of scripture based on a different identity. That's the key word for today. You see, and Jesus uses the Pharisees as his prime example. The reason they embraced such a wrong view of religion was because they based their interpretation and their lives off of their identity as Pharisees, not off their identity of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way of the kingdom. My identity, my way is the true way of the kingdom. And so on that premise, in the next several sections of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is actually going to do is that he's going to, he's teeing up this idea of identity and then he's going to go through several practical illustrations that define aspects of his identity, of kingdom citizens, true followers of him. And so in the verses that we just read, right, Jesus talks about murder, but beyond murder, he talks about anger. And if we're angry, he says, we are in danger of the, the fires of hell. I, I think he was serious about that. <laughs> and beyond anger, Jesus, Jesus talks about reconciliation. And he says, if, if you haven't been reconciled to a brother or sister, either in the church or, or in the world or wherever... Don't waste your time coming to church. I don't want your religious rituals. I want you to be humble of heart. I want you to be reconciled to your brother or sister. I mean, those are, I'm not making this up, guys. <laughs> those were literally Jesus' words. Does anybody else find that challenging? Because I was preparing for this today, and I found that super challenging. Is anybody with me? Come on, Brandon's with me. Pastor Brandon's with me. There we go. <laughs> so, but when we put it all together, here's, here's the framework that, we've, that we find. Jesus wants to reorient our identities around him. And he begins in this first section of scripture between verses 20 to, to 26. He begins to define it about the, the identity of Jesus' followers starts with their view of life, both in terms of the taking of life and the giving of life to others. And it's our identity as followers of Jesus that should define where we stand on the topic of life. Now, as I was you know, preparing and I was thinking about identity and how our identity sort of forms us, the way, that we, the way that we think, the way that we act, the things that we like and are entertained by, I was, I was thinking of a fun experience that happened in our, in our small group. If you guys didn't know, Giselle and I, we lead a small group with, with other couples. And um, in that small group, Shelly Benitez, who's Pastor Dale's daughter, and her husband, Eric, they're part of our small group. 
And so they were part of our small group last year, I'm sorry. And so uh, last year we had this, uh, the girls had this fun get together at my house with Giselle and all the other girls from the small group. And, and Shelly had this idea. She said, I'm going to bring tacos for all of us. Easy meal. I mean, tacos for a lot of people. Everybody serves themselves super easy. So she brought tacos for everybody to prepare. We set it out on the table and, and Giselle's the first one in line. And Giselle looks over and she says, um, somebody else ought to go first because I've never eaten tacos. <laughs> and I'm going to put myself in everybody else's shoes over here. And they're like, kind of looking at her like, what? You've, you've never eaten a taco? Aren't you Hispanic? I mean, you were born in Cuba for crying out loud. You're the real deal. You know, you're not even second or third gen. I mean, you're the real deal born in Cuba. And she's sort of over here, poor thing. And she's like, but Cubans don't eat tacos. <laughs> or anything spicy for that matter. And this, this, there was a Venezuelan girl also from Venezuela. She's there as well. And she's like, yeah, Venezuelans don't eat tacos either. I'm not really sure what I'm doing here. And so... You know, all the other, Shelly's like the last one, and she, she just kind of runs up to the front, and she, she's like, oh my goodness, look at me teaching the Hispanics how to eat a taco. <laughs> and I just thought about how our identities, they, they, they sort of, as a Cuban, right, we don't eat that. They, you can see how our identities sort of form our way of life, what we like, what we don't like, how they impact us in subtle or profound ways. But here's Here's what Jesus wants us to know about the Sermon on the Mount. Above every other identity that is given to you, perhaps where you're born, or that you take on yourself, your first and foremost identity is in Jesus. Above everything else. And actually, the early church, the early Christians, right after Jesus ascended into heaven, they took this very literally. And here's pastor, author, and Tim Keller makes a fascinating observation about what the first Christians, the ancient church, thought about living out their identity in Jesus. And he, he gives a whole list of things, but for today, for, for purposes of time, really, we're going to talk about only two that are really pertinent to our conversation today. So number one, the early church living out their identity in Jesus was startlingly multiracial. In other words, the church was an unbelievable mix of different ethnicities, Jews, Gentiles, etc., living in community together as equals under the name of Jesus. In other words, racial equality, it, it's not a secular value, church. Racial equality is a Jesus value. And there's no philosophical underpinning for the equality of persons without Jesus. I mean, this was radical back in the ancient world. So first, they were startlingly multiracial. But number two, they were radically pro-life. And this is what they mean by that. The church was a defender of all human life. And here's how Pastor Trevor put it, from the womb to the tomb <laughs> and everything in between. Besides the, besides the New Testament, the scriptures that we have here, there's some other documents that we have from the ancient church. Um, and there were these early church leaders called the Apostolic Fathers. And they wrote a document called the Didache. That literally means in Greek, teaching. And in there, they wrote some, some things about what they thought the way of Jesus was in light of 
what he taught. And they wrote this, which is extremely pertinent for our conversation today. They wrote this, you shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill that which is born. So they they rejected abortion, killing the unborn, and they rejected infanticide. See, in that culture, in that day and age, if, if parents did not want to keep the baby that they just gave birth to because of some disease or disability, or for whatever reason, really, they would just lay the child out in the street to die, to be eaten by rats. I mean, that's, that's literally what they would do. And the church said, no. No, all human life is valuable to God. And now, why... Why do I bring this up? Well, here's why. And this is where we're going to get more real. Remember how I said we're going to say some challenging things today? Well, here's where we're going to, Jesus started it, we're going to continue it. You see, one of those things, equality of persons, race relations, that's a concern that more of our progressive friends sitting in the room today take more seriously in the room, a little more passionate about it maybe. At least our culture wants us to think so and the other one pro-life maybe something that our more conservative friends take a little bit more strongly or our culture would like us to think that i can feel the tension rising in the in the room see it's it's becoming harder to find churches who talk about both of these things and you want to know why because we've given precedence to political and social identities over and above our identity in Jesus. I'm going to say that again. We've given precedence to political and social identities over and above our identity as Christ followers. I mean, look at what we've done. We've collapsed everything. Racial equality, for instance, and pro-life, we've collapsed it into what? Political narratives that divide us. And here's what we need to know as followers of Jesus. Your politics will always leave you short of what the gospel fully requires of us. It will always leave you short. And if we do that long enough, where we take politics or any any other lens that's not the lens of Jesus, we do that long enough, all the while claiming that we are following the true Jesus. What happens is that we, we walk into hypocrisy. And this is why Jesus actually begins his conversation with Pharisees. Because what were the Pharisees doing? They were taking on their identity as Pharisees, their interpretation, all the while claiming we're living out true biblical religion. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. That's not true. That's not the true religion of my father. And so this is what Jesus actually had to say in Matthew 16, 6 about that. He says this, be Careful, Jesus said to them, and them he's referring to his disciples. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, another religious group of that day. You see, what he was referring to was their teaching that was birthing in them such a hypocrisy that even the people around them could not stand it. And if Jesus were here today, I think he might say something like this to us, if I may. I think he'd say, beware of the cultural yeast that can grow different kinds of values in your heart that aren't of Jesus. 
I think he would say something like this, beware of the yeast of the political narratives around you. See, now this weekend couldn't be more perfect to talk about this. It really couldn't because we're, we're celebrating two really important things in the life of our country that sort of these narratives try to separate, but they go hand in hand oh so beautifully in our identity in Jesus. For starters, it's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. I mean, we all know Dr. Martin Luther King fought for racial equality and in many ways he's, he's not credited for the person who ended racial segregation. That's an amazing thing. And he fought for the lives of all of our black brothers and sisters whom we love, whom we cherish, and whom Jesus always accepted into the fold of his pastors. He always did. And Dr. King fought for that. But what's amazing about Dr. King is that he didn't, he didn't fight with violence. And he'll say it over and over again. If you look at his interviews, he fought with love. Enacted through nonviolent measures. What an amazing, amazing man. And today we, here at the Community of Hope, myself included, and all of our pastors, we just, we just proudly proclaim that we, we stand with the vision that he set forth for a racially unified United States of America. Yeah, we can, we can, we can clap for that. Amen. But here's the other thing. Today is also Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And on this Sunday, we want to remember that all human life, including the unborn, are of utmost value to God. One of the ways that we, that we support um, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is we, always, we, we are proud sponsors and supporters of uh, First Care's Women's Clinic. And they're, they're a nonprofit organization I'm going to read it here so I don't get it wrong. That's a, a parachurch ministry that helps women in crisis pregnancies choose life for their unborn child. And actually, Pastor Dale serves on the pastoral council um, of their board. And Leah, Pastor Trevor's wife, worked with them some time ago. And my wife, Giselle, she currently works with them as their accountant on the finance team. So here at Community of Hope, we are very intimately aware of First care, we love them and we support them. But yeah, we, we can clap for that too. Amen. Two important things that we honor and we celebrate in the name of Jesus. Now here, I would be remiss if I did not mention when I talk about the sanctity of human life Sunday, I would, I'd be remiss if I did not say this, that if, if you're here today, you're a woman, you had an abortion or you know somebody that did, there is forgiveness healing and restoration for you in the arms of our Lord Jesus. There's nothing that he can't save you from. This isn't poetry, folks. (laughs) This is real stuff. And Jesus really meant it when he said he can take the shame, he can take the burdens, and he forgives us. Here, you come and preach. How about them? <laughs> I thought I was going to have to use my Cuban, my Cuban voice. So you just had to lighten up the mood, didn't you, Jean? <laughs> Sanctity of human life. Jesus offers forgiveness and healing for all of us. But here's, here's what our culture has a hard time understanding. They don't compete, guys. The political narratives want to say, 
this group really values this, this group really values this. Actually, Christians, we value them both. We value it all. And if we are committed to practicing full devotion to follow Jesus, he will open our lives to live out our privilege and calling in this world as life givers in his name. And so in light of the text and our cultural context, light of the text we read and the cultural context that we are assuming this Sunday, I think there's three things here that we can apply and live into our identity as Christ followers around the topic of life. And so first of all, we just want to say, we want to reiterate really that all human life is valuable to God. All human life is valuable to God. Look what Jesus says one more time in in Matthew 5, 21. He says this, you've heard it, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders, excuse me, will be subject to judgment. All people are made in the image of God. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter one, the unborn, the born, those who are physically and intellectually gifted and those who are disabled, the young, the old, the black, the white, everything in between, all human life is valuable to God. Now you might, you might be here, you might say, well, Jose, I've never, I've never killed anybody. Sounds like this is a sermon for a serial, serial killer maybe, but I've never killed anybody. And <laughs> now here's, here's what I want to say. When we, when we push this value into different spaces, this is where we start to assassinate the character of other people. Let me get a little bit more explicit for us. For some of us who maybe identify as a little bit more conservative this morning, our, our ears perk up when we hear these three words, black lives matter. And independent of what you think about the organization, all life is valuable to God and thus black lives matter to God. See, things get muddy because the political narrative wants to make it about politics but it's not. Racial equality, racial equity is not about politics. It's about Jesus. And Jesus was the one who started it. But now for those of us who maybe identify on the more progressive end of things, right? We hear the sanctity of human life. We think about the topic of abortion and rights language starts coming up and we get uncomfortable. You see, but if all life is valuable to God, church, The unborn matter just as much as the born. But again, the surrounding narratives wants to separate God's people and say, we're over here, you're over there. No, we're together. It's not a political issue, it's a Jesus issue. And if we're gonna self-identify as followers of Jesus, church, we have to live into both of those oh so seriously. But secondly, we must rid ourselves of what takes life from others. All human life is valuable to God, number one. Number two, we must rid ourselves from what takes life from other people. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 22. He says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to a court, And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. That is some strong language. Some really strong language. And referring 
to anger, not even when he was referring to murder, referring to anger, he uses this language. Now, here's a quick note about anger because if you read the Bible, you'll notice that God gets angry. Jesus got angry. He overturned tables at the temple and he whipped out the animals and the people who were abusing God's people. But here's, here's what the difference is. Jesus saw something that was broken and he got angry and his anger was aimed at restoration and healing. I mean, in our, let's put it in a practical example. How many of us wouldn't get angry when we hear about the horrors of, of sex trafficking? I mean, who doesn't get angry when you hear stories about that? We should get angry because we see something that's broken and we want it restored. But you see, Jesus is not talking about anger that seeks to aim, that, that aims to restore, that aims to heal. He's talking about anger that is aimed to divide and to destroy. In other words, God cares so much about how we treat people that our religious rituals, he says here, they mean virtually nothing to him. They're empty. If we are acting in anger and contempt to our neighbor. And today, in today's age, most of us aren't murderers here in the room, and we know that. But man, we go on social media all the time, and you can, you can just kind of go through comments, people assassinating one another's character all the time, pointing fingers, slandering Christians to Christians, not even in the world, in the church. Jesus says, you're in danger of judgment. I mean, that, those are strong words that he said. And I don't, I think the mistake that we make today in the church is that we take Jesus a little too metaphorically. He was being serious. Let's be different. Let's not add fire to the flame. Let's be sources of relief, of peace in our culture. Not the opposite. But not only should we rid ourselves of what takes life, but being a follower of Jesus means we must pursue things that give life to others. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He says this, therefore, if you're offering, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Here's what I think a good modern rendition of this passage would be. If you're at church in the middle of a service of worship and you suddenly remember that your brother or sister has a grievance against you, leave church at once and make it right. Don't wait until the service has ended. Seek out your brother or sister and ask for his or her forgiveness. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your worship to God. Listen, at least we have cars today. You could drive. Back in the day, you take your offering, that thing is going to rot by the time you're back in two months, wherever your person was. Jesus was being serious. You know, when I read this passage, it reminds me of a moment that the Lord taught me this lesson. I was, there, there was a moment in my marriage with Giselle that I, we were having a disagreement about something several years ago and, and I responded a little, not as gently as I would have 
and I should have. And, and we, we sort of were exchanging comments as if we can just be real. You know, we all have moments like that in our marriages, in our relationships. It doesn't have to be in marriages and friendships, deep friendships that we've had for years, right? And um, we had a moment like that. And I, um, we try not to go to bed angry. As Ephesians 4 says, don't let the anger, don't let the sun set on your anger. But it was so late that day. We were so exhausted. Maybe that's probably why we were so exhausted. We just went to bed and I woke up the next day and I went straight to, she was still sleeping and I went to my Bible, went out to the, to the living room and I was sitting on the couch and I started to read and it was almost like I couldn't read. I started to pray and I, I felt like my prayers weren't even going above the ceiling. I was like, Lord, what's going on? And I, and I closed my eyes and I just felt the Lord impress me. I don't impress in my heart. And he said, I don't care about your religious rituals, Jose. I care for a humble spirit. Go ask for forgiveness. Yes, Lord. And that was the best devotional I ever did. And that's how serious Jesus is about reconciliation, whether it's personal whether it's relational, whether it's familial, whether it's racial, Jesus wants us to be reconcilers. And in today's age, that means being agents of peace, agents of unity, agents of gentleness in a culture that's just so hostile and ready to attack. So in closing, what you'll notice is that most, most I'm sorry, of what we said today there are identities in our culture that hold some, but not all of the truth. And the biggest temptation that you're gonna face when you walk out of those doors, you're gonna be tempted to be drawn to the extremities. You're gonna be tempted by the narratives to be drawn to the extremities, to be drawn to only half of the truth. But here's the challenge today for us. Let's live into the full truth of our identity in Jesus. That is the challenge. That is the call. Jesus calls us to an alternate way that's not of this world, folks. And that's why it's hard, because it's not of this world. But he can give you the strength. He can give you the grace to walk in it. He can. And if you're listening here today and you, you felt some of that sting, you felt some of that struggle, I want, you, I want you to know that while there's a lot of truth in this sermon, there's also a lot of grace in Jesus. Because you can come to him you can repent. You can ask for forgiveness. The old is gone. The new has come. You can walk in newness of life. And you can begin to every day practice your faith and walk faithfully in the identity that Jesus gives us in him. So let's do that. Let's change society one step at a time as we walk faithfully in the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we, we humbly Take in your words, acknowledging that they are difficult. And so, Lord, in this moment, we just, we just say, help us. Help us to do this. It is so hard for all of us. Lord, we don't want to be angry. Lord, we want to be reconciled. Lord, would you give us the grace? Give us the wisdom. Give us the discernment. Would we live into the identity that you give us, knowing that you've bought us 
by your blood, you've washed us clean to walk in newness of life in your way, not our own and not of this world. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, and we take it all in and we lay everything that impedes us from a right relationship with you at your feet. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If anybody needs prayer, we do have our prayer team out, my back left, your back right. But at this time, I'd love for everybody to stand. And church, if you wanna, if you wanna stand and close your eyes, maybe take another posture of prayer and just receive this blessing from scripture, from the apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, where he says this, church, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Go in God's grace. Love you, church. We'll see you next week. God bless.